Amen. Wonderful. Well, let's take our Bibles today and uh, get ready for our lesson. <laughs> I thought I had a verse for you, but we could turn to 2 Timothy 2.15. By now, you probably almost have it memorized, don't you? That's kind of where we kick things off with every week, as we are still in our Bible Truth series, and we're dealing with dispensations. So we've been utilizing 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 as kind of our springboard as it outlines and lays out for us what our purpose is for our, our uh, dispensation series, if you will. So 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so we've been working through uh, these dispensations and trying to identify some divisions that help us to better understand how God dealt with and deals with people and uh, to ensure that we're putting things in their proper place so that we come to the proper conclusions. And so uh, that's been something we've been doing now for a number of weeks. Now, um, <clears throat> in the dispensation of innocence, of course, we know that God worked or dealt with mankind face to face. And he had made a man in his image. And we know that that man's name was Adam, and ultimately uh, the Bible talks about Eve, and the two of them ultimately failed in the sense that they ate of the fruit. They disobeyed God, and as a result of that, they were no longer innocent. And so then they're removed from the garden. Uh, God has put in mankind a divinely implanted conscience. That conscience is there to guide us in one respect, but it is never enough because it's still tainted with sin. And so we see that the dispensation of conscience lasted for about 1,600 years. And finally, God got tired of that as well as we see that a flood ultimately ensued. It repented God that he'd even made man, and so now this flood comes. But he saves eight people alive who are representative or a representative remnant of, the, uh, of humanity. And they're going to move on now, and uh, they're going to fulfill the plan that God has for mankind. And so the dispensation of human government kicks off, and we see that civil authority is established, uh, and uh, we're, uh, it's used to govern society. And so, of course, that's going to fix all problems. Government's always the solution. And unfortunately, we learn that that doesn't work either, and as a result of that, we end up at the Tower of Babel and uh, the people of God are dispersed. They didn't follow through with the fact that they were to uh, go throughout the world again and uh, ultimately uh, occupy it. So when God's done with that, he ultimately, he then calls a man by the name of Abram. And he calls Abram from among his kindred and his country, and he tells him to go forth. And they're to, to occupy the land of Canaan. And there they are to bring light into darkness. They're to worship the one and only true God, Jehovah. Instead, they find themselves in Egypt for 430 years. And so that dispensation ended there. Uh, the dispensation of promise or family ends in a coffin, the Bible speaks of. And at the end of the book of Exodus, uh, at the end of the book uh, there of, of, of Deuteronomy. And so, um, let's see, Deuteronomy, let's see, Genesis, Exodus. Exodus, excuse no, wait, Deuteronomy. Yeah, I'm, my mind's a little, bit, a little bit overwhelmed here as I'm trying to keep these all in my mind. While in Egypt, the offspring of Abraham would grow to be a nation. And we know that uh, they would be there, as we said, 430 years. 
And as they leave and depart, of course, they go out a nation. They come in with 70, they leave with a nation. That's an amazing thing, really. And uh, so Moses ultimately goes into the mount, Mount Sinai, and of course we know that he is given the uh, tablets, and of course the law is then given. And so mankind is working on that law. But unfortunately, Israel again continues to rebel against God. It never works out, it seems, because no matter what we do and no matter how God provides us the opportunities, no matter what tools he gives us, it seems we always make a mess of everything. And so as a result of that, they end up um, in captivity, and before it's over with, they're crying, crucify him, crucify him. And the only one that ever fulfilled the law, the Lord Jesus Christ, is put on a cross. And so we see it ending pretty bad. And so now we arrive at the next dispensation, and the next dispensation is grace. And of course, grace is the dispensation in which you and I live. It's the time we live, the period of time we live. And so as we kick off grace, I wanted to make a note of the fact that when Moses makes his way out of the mount along with the tablets of stone, written by the finger of God, of course, and with the finger of God, he observes the Israelites worshiping an idol and acting like the pagan nations that were around them. Boy, we know that as he sees this and as he observes it, he cast down those tablets, and the tablets are cast down, they're broken, and a challenge is given. And in Exodus chapter 32, verse 26, then said, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. We know how that ultimately went. We talked about it last week a little bit. We know that ultimately they went out throughout the camp and When it was all said and done, 3,000 men lost their lives. 3,000. So we said that, boy, the law kicked off in a pretty bad way, didn't it? Things didn't turn out too awfully well. I mean, when the law kicked off, it only brought death. But it's interesting. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And we're going to look at grace. And we're going to see how this dispensation kicks off. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Remember, Peter's been preaching now, and the Holy Spirit descends, and we see a number of people coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, the Bible gives us a number. It says, in the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I think that's rather interesting because in contrast to the law where the Lord takes 3,000 lives as its inception, we now note that as a result of Peter's preaching at Pentecost, 3,000 souls are saved. I mean, the law kicks off and 3,000 people die because they fail to keep the law so soon. Whereas grace kicks off and we have 3,000 being saved. So what a contrast between the law, which promotes death, and grace, which promotes life. It's a big contrast. Now this dispensation of grace is going to extend right on up to the time when Christ returns. Boy, we're glad for that. He's coming back. We know that to be the case. The purpose of this particular dispensation, grace that is, is to gather out a people for his name. And that people for his name is called the church. It's comprised of both Jew and Gentile. 
And so we're going to take a look a little bit at the church for just a few moments tonight, and we're going to take a look at just a little bit of this issue of grace, because you can't separate the two. They're one and the same. And so let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you, and we thank you again for just this opportunity that we have to gather tonight. May you speak to our hearts through the Word of God, and Lord, may you show us things that will encourage us and speak to us and equip us, Father, for the road ahead. We thank you for your Word, and we thank you for the privilege it is to know it and to be able to apply it to our lives. And Lord, bless this, these that have gathered tonight. Lord, they have gathered with the express purpose of learning and growing and wanting to become everything you want them to be. And Father, use this short lesson now, Father, to once again equip them and to inform them and to inspire them to, for the work that you have. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So this dispensation again, the purpose, as we see here, is to gather out a people for his name. And it's going to be called the church. Now, the Gentiles were to be saved. That was no mystery. Again, sometimes we come to this place where we feel like, you know, uh, uh, it was kind of a mystery that the Gentile would be saved. No, that's not the mystery. When he talks about the mystery, it's not that the Gentile would be saved. Turn to Romans chapter 9, would you? Romans chapter 9, verse 24. In Romans chapter 9, verse 24 <clears throat> The Bible says, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Excuse me, he says that as a question. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith also in O.C., I will call them my people. Now, when he says O.C., he's talking about Hosea. I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, Except the Lord of Sabbath hath left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been like and made like unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have obtained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. The fact is, is that even in the Old Testament, it was hinted at and expressed that the Gentile would be included, that somehow they would come, that they would be saved. Now again, that you say, some people say, well, what if indeed... Christ, uh, the, the Jew would have accepted Christ, where would the Gentile have been then? Because we know it wasn't until the Gentile ultimately uh, failed in, in, in following after the Lord that the Jew, uh, that the, excuse me, the Jew failed in following after the Lord that the Gentile was then added. We see that in chapter 11 of the book of Romans. Well, well the fact is that, you know, we can speculate all day, but we know that God in his wisdom has a plan for everything and may I say that in his foreknowledge, he already knew how things would turn out, unlike you and I. So we can go ahead and we can make, you know, what if this and what if that and all those things. But in reality, God already knew how things would turn out, even though God gave them a bona fide offer, a legitimate offer, and they rejected Christ, their king. So we see here that it wasn't necessarily, the mystery wasn't that the Gentile would be saved. That wasn't the mystery that we see in the New Testament as it is really applied to the church. But 
The mystery was the fact that God had purpose to bring together or to unite the Jew and the Gentile into something completely new, the church, which is, of course, Christ's body. That was the mystery. They didn't see that. They couldn't wrap their mind around that. If you look at even Jesus when he's on earth, he comes and he speaks and he talks about uh, in a somewhat rather derogatory fashion of the Gentiles. It wasn't his goal early on to include them. As a matter of fact, when uh, the Jew went forth the first time, they were, to go to, the Je- they were go- to go to the Jew only. Then later they were to go to the Gentile. We are very fortunate that the Gentile, in one sense, we're, at least from our standpoint, that is, rejected Christ because in their rejection, we now have opportunity. And that's a blessing for us. But the fact is that God, this idea of the church or this, the Jew and the Gentile coming together to make one body, that was really the mystery. That was the thing that was revealed to the Apostle Paul that others did not see. Look, if you would, over in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Again, the Jew and the Gentile brought together as one. That was the mystery. That that didn't make sense. Now, the Old Testament prophet knew that somehow the Gentile would ultimately be included somehow, some way. However, the Jew and the Gentile coming together into one body, boy, blew right past them. They didn't see that. Christ, of course, would ultimately be one of the first ones to hint at it. Uh, You know, when he, well, look at Peter's confession over there in Matthew 16. Look over there in Matthew chapter 16. Now again, the purpose of God was not revealed in the Old Testament scriptures. It was unknown even as we mentioned earlier in our series to the patriarchs, to the prophets. The valley of the church was just not seen. They just overlooked the complete uh, church. It just didn't see it. It was as though it sat in a valley somewhere and those mountain peaks were being viewed, but boy, they're just missing the church completely. And so they just could not see the church over the prophetic landscape of time. And so we see here that Christ was one of the first to hint at it, and he does so in Peter's confession. Notice what he says here. He speaks, he says, on this rock I will build my church. Notice Matthew 16, 16 through 18. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. we got a church now. The Lord Jesus is speaking about the church. Now he introduces this thing. He's the one that basically hints at it right off the bat, and he makes it known there's going to be something called the church, and he's going to build that church. It's his church. I'll build my church. And again, the church was a new thing, and it's going to include the Jew and the Gentile. Now again, this particular passage is obviously misunderstood 
It's especially misunderstood by certain groups of religious people, and it's been misunderstood through the years. And when Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church, he isn't speaking of building his church upon Peter. He's talking about building his church upon the profession, which points to none other than Jesus Christ himself. And the Bible says over in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, it says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the only foundation by which we can build our lives and our futures. Now, some have said, well, you know, it depends on who you read. It depends on who you look at. Some will say, well, you know, uh, you know Peter's name means rock. Well, that's debatable. Depends on who you're talking to, whether it means rock. It does mean stone, but if you read certain people that believe that, his, that the church was built on Peter, they'll say it's a rock. Now listen, I can, I'm going to tell you something. I'll be honest with you. When I was in Bible college, I got about, I, I really was like kind of weary of all the names, you know, and this is what this name means, and this is what this name means, and this is what this name means. And I'd say, where does it say that in the Bible? Oh, well, it, it says this. I said, yeah, but that don't say what you just said. How do I know that's what it means? I mean, Mark, my name means strong defender. Who decided that? I'm just kind of curious. I read that somewhere. I read my name means strong defender. Man, I'm like, yes. I am a strong defender. And then I got thinking, well, where, who decided strong defender is what Mark means? He said, well, you got to go back into literary time. Yeah, whatever, right? Somebody decided that. Somebody said, well, this word means this, and this word means this. You put this together, and blah, blah, blah. And I, I don't know, but what I'm telling you is that I'm not always convinced that all these names and all these words and everything they say means exactly what it says unless God says it. And I know Peter, I guarantee, he wasn't the one that was gonna, they were going to build the church on. We don't see that a bit. He ain't the rock. Jesus Christ is the rock. And he's defined as the rock, by the way. Paul calls it a mystery, which in other ages was not made known unto the Son of Men. Look in Ephesians chapter 3. Again, the Apostle Paul is the apostle to the Gentile. If you want to know something about the church, you want to understand the doctrine of the church and identify how we're to respond and act as a church, you go to the writings of the Apostle Paul. That's where you go. And that's, that's the best place to go. He literally is called the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, that's interesting. Notice what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. And by the way, these books that, were, that he writes are written to where? Churches. Do you know those churches are literal, physical churches? They're literal, physical churches. They're in... They're in uh, certain areas, and often they go out and they go to a church and say, hey, pass that on to that next church and pass it on to that next church so that all the churches in Galatia get a chance to read it then. To literal, physical churches. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Paul again is talking, he's speaking now to the church at Ephesus, and he's saying how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Who? The Lord did, the Lord Jesus Christ. As I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which 
in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. See, that's the mystery. The mystery, again, wasn't that the Gentile would be saved or that he would have a part. The mystery was that he would be fellow heir, that he would be of the same body, that he'd be partaker of the promise of Christ, that together they would be in one body, the church, the body of Christ. That's something. Paul adds that it was hidden God from the beginning of the world. This wasn't something that God made up along the way, by the way. He had already anticipated and he had already planned it. Look at you in Ephesians again, chapter 3, verse 9 this time. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. The beginning of the world, it was already in place. It's interesting, God's got a plan, doesn't he? Sadly enough, you know, as believers, you and I, as human beings sometimes, we have a tendency to only see the immediate. We see what we're going through. We see what we're dealing with all the time. And yet, the fact is that God sees the big picture. The big picture. He sees it all from start to finish. And sometimes it's difficult for us because in the midst of a trial or a tribulation or a difficult time, it's, it's, it's hard to not look up to God and say, what are you doing? Come on now. Haven't I been faithful? Haven't I been consistent? Haven't I served you? Why are you allowing this in my life? And that is a, that, that at times, and I'm going to say this, I'm just going to say it, that is a normal response if you're acting out in the atomic nature. That's normal for us as human beings to respond that way, but that is not a spiritual way to respond. That's not the way God intended us to respond in the spirit. Now listen, Normal in the Christian life is different than normal in a human life. And, and you and I have to be careful because sometimes we, we fall back on our humanity, our atomic nature, and we say, well, it's normal for me to act like this. It's normal for me to feel like this. It's normal for me to think like that. Not as a believer anymore because we have the Spirit of God living in us. That's not the normal anymore. We have what you and I have been told is the new normal. That's what the world says, the new normal. Well, we got a new normal now. It's walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And can I tell you, as my grandma would say, guilty. Guilty, 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 walking in the flesh. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Right here. Because I don't always act like I'm supposed to act. I fall right back into that old flesh sometimes. And man, I see my circumstance or my situation, and if I'm not careful, I look to God and go, what in the world are you doing? Why? And I forget that God's got a bigger picture, and he sees things from beginning to end. It's not easy sometimes, though, in this old flesh, is it? It's a challenge. It's a battle. It's a struggle. But it's not something that we can excuse. We're not permitted to say, well, that's just how I am. Well, you're a new creature in Christ, and so am I. So what we do is we catch ourselves, right? We catch ourselves responding in the flesh, and we go, whoa, 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 whoa wait. Wait a second. I, 
that's not how I'm supposed to respond. Boy, that's how I feel. But, but wait, that's not how I'm supposed to respond. But boy, it's so tempting. I, stop yourself, Mark. Stop yourself. You've got to lean on him, not your own understanding. And I have to go, wow. I'm not acting much like the Christian I am now. And I've got to change how I'm thinking and maybe even how I'm responding because I want to line up with who I now am in Christ. And boy, that's a challenge, as I said. I, I don't have it all figured out. I'm still working through that, just like you are. But let's not allow ourselves to use our flesh as an excuse for not fulfilling our new, the new man, not living out the new man in our life. That's all. Be aware of it. So in this dispensation of grace, some things are happening here. First, God goes from dealing with nations to dealing with individuals. He goes from dealing with nations to dealing with individuals. God goes from enforcing the law to extending grace. See, the new body, this, this, the church, if you will, this new thing, it's not under law but grace. We're not under the law. We're under grace. You aren't under the law. You're not under, I'm not under the law. We are under grace now. Romans 6.14 says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? How's it possible that sin won't have dominion over us? I mean, sin had dominion over every other dispensation. It seems like everybody, we, every time we turn around, humanity's failing and falling. So how is it that the Apostle Paul, and when writing to the Romans, can say, for sin shall not have dominion over you? See, out of his mind, he goes on to express Why? For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound, the Bible says. So God goes from dealing with nations to dealing with individuals. He goes from enforcing the law to extending grace. And then the basis of judgment is our acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior now. That's the basis of judgment. What are you going to do with Jesus? Will you accept and receive Christ or will you not accept and receive Christ? It depends on what you do with Jesus. That's the bottom line in this dispensation. That's why the Bible says in the book of John chapter 3, when he says over there in verse I'd have to quote all three verses because you know when you learn verses as packages, you know, you, I can't start sometimes where I need to. I don't like that. But that is life, especially as I get a little older. Don't you love it when young people tell you they're not good at memorization? Isn't that wonderful? You ought to memorize a few verses. Oh, I'm not very good at it. You're thinking, you are 18 years old. You're 20 years old. You are 25 years old. Huh? It's as good as it's getting, baby. <laughs> hey, come on, man. <laughs> the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Everything rises and falls on our 
choice or decision is what we do with Jesus. Whether we make him our Savior or not, everything in this dispensation, it's all about that. That's how, that is the basis of judgment. So, when Christ took his seat upon the Father's throne, he changed it from a throne of justice to a throne of grace, in a, in a sense. And God's attitude in this dispensation is one of favor and long-suffering toward wicked men and wicked women, and toward nations even. Again, that's what God is truly trying to do in this dispensation. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, or not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, I'll tell you what, it was a tough, it was a tough uh, sell to get somebody that was, say, um, a Gentile into the Jewish faith. That was a rough one. To proselytize somebody, to, to get, end up in the Jewish faith as a Gentile was a tough one, man. I mean, there was a lot. It was tough. But you know what? doesn't matter who or what you are. You can get in to Jesus Christ. So we have seen that in all five of the preceding dispensations, they've ended poorly. They've ended bad. They've ended in failure. Innocence, again, ended in the fall. Conscience ended in the flood. Human government ended in the confusion of tongues. Family, or the dispensation of promise, however you choose to call it, ended in Egyptian bondage. The law ended in the crucifixion of Christ. Grace. How's this one going to end? How's the dispensation of grace going to end? I just say grace. Be praying for Grace Rabideau, okay, would you? That just, when I said grace, I thought about you, brother, and your wife. But anyway, pray for, for her. Uh, she's just having a rough time and uh, needs our prayers as well. Uh, if you need more information, you see Brother Rob. He'll tell you what you need to know, but most of you know what's going on there. Um, grace, the dispensation according to this, uh, according to the dispensation of grace, how's it going to end? That's a good question, right? Well, let's take a look and see just a few things. Turn to Acts chapter 1, first of all. Acts chapter 1, verse 10. Sadly, according to prophecy, this dispensation of grace is going to end like the others did, in failure. Not good, is it? Acts chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. Notice, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, I'm just going to throw this out. I, you know what? I'm throwing it out. It doesn't matter. Notice it says two men stood by them in white apparel. You know what those two men were? Well, angels, or they could have been the two witnesses that we'll find over in the book of Revelation. But then you just throw that out there. But if they're angels, isn't it interesting? Uh, I'm not going there. Okay, moving on. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Before Christ ascended, he promised to return, right? That's obvious, and that's what we learned there in Acts chapter 1. With that in mind, consider the question that Jesus asked that should actually cause us to sit up and take note. 
Look at Luke chapter 18, verse 8, and let's look at the question that Jesus asked. Remember, he's coming back. There's no doubt about it. When he ascended to go back, he told us, I'm coming back the way I left. Notice what he says in Luke 18, 8. He says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? That's a pretty interesting question. That's a probing question, isn't it? I mean, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? You know, that's been the question that has moved believer after believer after believer through the years to promote and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The desire to ensure that when Jesus Christ returns, he'll find faith. Therefore, we go out into this world and we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We proclaim the truth of the word of God so that when Jesus Christ returns, He'll find faith on the earth. From the very start of the church age, there have been concerted attacks against the faith. Paul warns us that in the last days of this particular dispensation, perilous times shall come. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. I'm often amazed as you, you know, read the Apostle Paul early on, and here he is at the beginning of the church age, and, and he's already warning the people, but he's already warning them because he sees evidence of these elements creeping in already. I wonder if the Apostle Paul came back today and, and, and took his place in a pulpit and traveled around the country proclaiming the truth and even around the world. I wonder how we would fare to his prophecy. I wonder if he'd say, boy, you guys are fulfilling it. Woo, look at it. Or, boy, you guys have done a good job refraining from it. You have stood the test of time. I wonder sometimes. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Oh, here it is now. Here's the kicker, isn't it? From such turn away. That's the part we like to cross out right there. But anyway, let's move on. The hope of completely eradicating the faith is the one, is one of Satan's greatest goals. He wants to do away with it. Now, the devil, he revels in a society void of God that is focused on self. That is exactly what we read here. I want you to note the list. 
and how the list identifies the future as a society that is self-absorbed, selfish, sensual, sinful, and even snared, which means deceived or held captive. Notice again the list. And, and by the way, when he says in the last days, it's interesting that the last days began with the Apostle Paul. You have to understand, too, that a day is as a thousand years unto the Lord. I think sometimes we get the idea that, you know, well, a hundred years ago it was so good and now it's so bad. Can I tell you, it's been like this through the centuries. It's been like that. I mean, there have been nations that have started off well and then ended bad. There's been, even in our own country, where we've had a couple of revivals through our history that took us from the depths of despair to the heights and clouds of glory, and then we start to descend again, and we went back up again, and we are on a downward spiral, folks. That's all there is to it. And unless revival comes to America one more time, there's a good chance we will cease to exist as we understand America. But notice, he says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Can I tell you, he is not talking about the world, he's talking about the church. He's warning us that even within the context of the local church, the believer, we're going to run into these issues. For men shall be lovers of their own. He is not talking to a lost man. He's talking to Timothy, who is a pastor. And he's saying, listen, I want you to know in the last days perilous times are come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Oh, we understand that, Paul. We see it around us. We see it with Rome. We see it. He says, no, you don't get it. It's not just society I'm talking about. It's the church. Will I find faith when I come, Jesus said. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without, I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but it stands out, doesn't it? You know what stands out? Disobedient to parents. That stands out to me. You know, isn't it sad? Because we as parents determine whether or not that's the case. Do you understand that all of these other things are going to work around that same focus as well? If our children do not learn to obey their parents, they probably are more likely to be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. You know what that's pointing to? According to the book of Romans, that's pointing to homosexuality. That's called sodomy in the Bible. Unnatural affection. Unnatural. That means you're not born that way. It's unnatural. Oh, you say, that's too, too simplistic. Well, I don't know. Unnatural means unnatural. It doesn't mean natural. If you're born some way, it's natural. You're too shallow. I know, I'm really shallow, and I'm really, really, really seriously about the Bible. Yeah, I, I, that's what matters to me right there. He goes on, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. If we had any doubt that this wasn't including the church, right there we have proof. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. 
Can, can I warn you not to buy into the stupidity of Oprah spirituality? It's still being, permit, per, per, it's being promoted in our culture now. It started on a stage with her sitting, talking about it with her guests, and now we see it being promoted in our entire society. The spiritualism, that you can be spiritual without God, without the Word of God, without the Jesus of the Bible. That's right out of hell, folks. So this hope of completely eradicating the faith is what Satan's all about. And sadly enough, as we come to a close in our dispensation, notice what he says in Matthew 24, verse 37. He says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Someone says, oh boy, what were they doing back then? It was so bad. They were just living life. They were living life. And you know what? They didn't see the handwriting on the wall. I mean, the Bible implies here that they're just living life as though there is tomorrow versus living their life as though there's no guarantee of tomorrow. I mean, they're just going on with life. I, I mean, I don't even have to read into there anything sensual or wicked or bad. I just have to look and say, what's really going on in the days of Noah? They're just going on with life. Nobody has a clue. Here's Noah preaching, and everybody's going, whatever. I got work to go to. I've got to take the kids to practice. I've got to take care of this situation with these bills. I've got to go do this, and I've got to go here and do that. And all of a sudden, bam, the rain came. And that's exactly how the end of this dispensation will come with the return of Christ. See, the deception of Satan will engross the minds of many. It's going to be, it's a mental battle too. It's, an, it's a spiritual battle, yes, but it's, it's in the minds. In 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Well, wait a second. The Spirit speaketh expressly. That means He speaketh plainly. The Spirit of God speaks plainly. Can I tell you, in the latter times, there'll be plenty of other voices, but there'll be seducing spirits and doctrines of devil being promoted. Oh, they're not so plain. They're often convoluted. They're contradictory. They're even confusing, but... Sadly enough, people will be so blinded to the truth that they will embrace the false. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, turn there, would you, as we close this down? 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. The church is a body of believers. We've come together and, and we function out of the local church and we are Jew and Gentile together, one body. What a mystery it was, and now it's come to fruition. And here we are today, prepared to go out into a world and we proclaim the truth of the gospel with the express purpose of just trying to inform the world of Jesus Christ because that's the means by which we're judged as to what we do with Jesus now. How are we going to do? How are we doing? 
Ah, man, he tells us as we draw nigh to the end, things are going to get tough. They're going to get tricky. We see here in 2 Peter 3, 3 through 4, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Where's the promise of his coming? You keep talking about Jesus coming back. Oh, you Christians. For years you've done that. And then there's a couple kooks every once in a while that think they know the exact date of the return of Christ and they go ahead and tell everybody it's going to be on, you know, March the 7th, 1884. And then it's going to be this date and then this date and it doesn't happen. We had people that come and said, oh, wait a second, we have 94, what was it, uh, 88 reasons why Jesus is going to return in 1988. And then, well, he didn't come back. So it's 94 reasons he's returning in 1994. And people go, you guys are a bunch of lunatics. You're a bunch of nuts. You're crazy. You're out of your minds. And they say, just like the passage, where's the promise of his coming? You keep telling me he's coming. I don't see evidence of it. And you know what? Sometimes we give them good reason not to believe. Got to be careful with that. So from this, we see that this particular dispensation, sadly enough, like all that have preceded it, is going to end in apostasy. That's sad, isn't it? It's not saying there won't be faith when he returns. It's not saying that there won't be a remnant that's here when he comes back. Obviously, there will be. But as a whole, once again, even the church will fail, although he gave us every opportunity to succeed. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? I wonder, will he find faith in your life when he returns? Will he find faith in your family if he returned today? Will he find faith in five years from now in your life? Ten years from now? Fifteen? Twenty years from now? There are so many landmines that you young people are going to have to navigate through. They're everywhere. And, and sometimes, as a young person, you know, you, you, you try to plan your life out. You know, you kind of think, well, I mean, there's a lot of things that I don't know, but what I do know is that the Lord's my Savior, and what I do know is I'm going to live for Jesus, and praise God for that attitude. But let me tell you something. If you take for granted your relationship with the Lord, and you somehow think you're just going to cruise through life, and it'll always be me and God without working at it, my friend, you're going to hit a landmine that's going to blow you out of the water. You're going to find yourself out in that world living for the devil and thinking you're right in doing it. And it's subtle, too. It's little by little, step by step. You know what? There are too many adults in this room that could testify of that reality in their life. And they don't always talk about it because it's kind of painful, they have to admit. But let me tell you something. Sometimes I think as adults, we need to let them know, not glorify the sin we were in, but instead express to them the consequences of it so they understand the payment that sin brings. We like to talk about God's forgiveness, but let's talk about the lingering consequences. Too many times we neglect to tell that side of the story, and it leads our young people to believe they can live life however they choose, and God's always just there to receive them, and there'll never be a consequence. That's not true at all in our lives. We know that who have lived life a little bit and have made bad choices along the way. We live in some dark and seemingly ominous days. The temptation could be to batten down the hatches, board up the, 
the windows and doors, retreat to a bunker for safety, you know. But that shouldn't be our response at all today. That shouldn't be what we do at all. During the 1960 presidential campaign, John F. Kennedy, he often closed his speeches with a story of a man by the name of Colonel Davenport. He was the Speaker of the Connecticut House of Representatives. On May the 19th, 1780, the sky of Hartford darkened ominously, and some of the representatives glancing out the window, they kind of got scared. I mean, they were afraid the end was at hand. I mean, it was bad. calming the clatter for immediate adjournment. Let's adjourn this meeting now. We must adjourn. So bad out. Davenport rose and said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there's no cause for adjournment. If it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, I wish that candles be brought. You know, instead of fearing what's to come. We're to be faithful till Christ returns. Instead of fearing the dark, we're to be lights and we're to be watching and waiting for the Lord's return. We live in some ominous days and it can seem pretty dark. And we may, if not careful, somehow believe there's no hope for our America, there's no hope for the world. And I know what the prophecy teaches and I know how it ultimately ends, but there is nothing, nothing, nothing that says it's in our day. Revival can still come to America. I don't care what any preacher says. I don't care what anybody tells me. And I've had them tell me, you haven't read your Bible because it's going to end that way and we're already there. And I said, yeah. And I'm sure there were a number of other nations and cultures that felt the same way when their nation ended, but Jesus still hasn't come back. Can I tell you that there's no reason why we shouldn't be excited about what Jesus can do. And if we'll get busy working for the Lord, he'll bless like he's always blessed. May God help us to stay faithful so that when he returns, he'll find faith on the earth. He'll find faith in your life and in mine. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. We are so grateful, Father, for just the privilege to be a part of your family. And Lord, we understand that based on what we read that things can grow ominous. They can even grow dark. But Lord, it doesn't have to be that way in our lives. It doesn't have to be that way even in our nation or in this world if we get the gospel out because it is the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Father, thank you for the privilege of being just a part of it and having an opportunity to serve. Lord, may we not become selfish and self-centered. May we not allow ourselves to grow inward, but instead to reach outward with you. Oh, Father, help us to stay busy in the work of God as we see your day approaching. And Lord, truly, every day is one day closer to the return, but we don't know when that will be. We just keep waiting and watching and living our life for you. Father, bless our nation. Bless our homes. Bless our families. and Bless the people of God. And Lord, of course, bless your body, the church. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.